There we go. Um, and these, yeah, this couple wrote their own vows, and they're beautiful words. And as I sat there and I heard these promises to each other that they would promise to love each other, they'd promise to be there for each other, that they'll promise to listen to one another, um, that that yeah, that their, their time is is their partner's time. Um, and, and they were fantastic vows. And actually, these vows got a round of applause. That's how good they were. Um, today, Rachel and I have been married 14 years. November 10th, 2005, uh, Raf married us. And this old man was my best man back at the time on the day. And I remember saying similar words, those promises and those vows. And as I sat there on Friday night I, and they were sharing these promises I, I couldn't think uh, but to think like what's life going to be like for these guys in the coming weeks and months and years and those promises are put to the test and you both come home and there's something urgent you want to just talk about it with someone and your partner hasn't got the listening ear that night and there's tension and it causes a bit of anger. Or you say you're going to be home at a certain time and it's a special time we need to spend together and you don't make it home because work is too important or you're out with friends. or And so there's this quietness and this moments of tension and, and, uh, and, and things need to be sorted out. Unity doesn't come easily and it's not maintained easily. Uh, I, I know that we've made it to 14 years and we have a great sense of unity in our marriage, uh, not because of a bottle of Coke. There you go, Andrew. <coughs> it's not that simple. Um, it's not just because of the words that we said 14 years ago at the altar. But I know that it's because of Jesus Christ, that he is our saviour and Lord individually, but he's also the, the foundation and he is the giver and the source of our unity. And we've experienced good times and difficult times and that will still happen in the coming years. Um, but our unity has not been broken in, in marriage because Jesus Christ is at the centre of it. We are coming to the end of Romans, the Roman series um, over the last few months and we're coming to a, a point last week and this week, chapter 14, which Rob Coyle took us through last week and then the 15, 1 to 13, it's broken up with a with a passage uh, with a chapter number but it's not really broken up it's one sort of passage that we're doing over these two weeks and Paul talks about our relation with other believers and specifically with the strong and the weak as we touched on last week and we'll also touch on this week but what stood out to me was these two key verses which really uh, uh, summarise this whole chapter and a half. May the God, this is verses 5 and 6 of 15, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement 
give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unity is not an option. I've gone too far with that. Andrew, you can work your magic like usual and get that up. Unity is not an option. It's not the, it's not the cherry on top of the Christian cake. Um, it, it is essential. Unity is essential and a necessity of the church as we follow Jesus Christ and in order to not focus on us, but as one and together we glorify our God. And, and time and time again over centuries and in the present, we so often get distracted from being one in Christ. We so often get let our differences come in between us glorifying our God and worshipping him as one. And the personality clashes so often distract us from why we are together and the common things that we share in Christ. Unity is at the heart of who God is and what he wants for his church. Uh, Well-known verses in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And he's talking about the nation of Israel and he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. These other sheep, the, the Gentiles, is, are going to be coming under the saving grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And he was bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together as one people, one church. And you see, so Paul is making this point to this church in Rome here in this passage. Converted Jews and converted Gentiles with different backgrounds and different opinions on things, different cultures, different traditions. May God give you the spirit of unity. That's what he's saying to them. In, as you follow Jesus Christ, in order that you may glorify God together. Last week, Rob... Coyle brought out the points of accepting one another. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, and he, he brought out the, the, yeah, the three points from chapter 14 about accepting one another, the fact that we will give an account to God and that our life is not to be about judging but making every effort to do what leads to peace and building each other up. And this morning as we look at these few verses in chapter 15, I want to draw our attention to a couple of principles about unity that flow on from chapter 14. That is that we are to please one another 
and we are to rejoice and receive one another. The first point he makes in verse 1 of chapter 15 is we're to please one another. He says, "Who We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Well, who is the strong and who is the weak? Uh, Rob touched a bit on this last week, but just to recap, the, the, the weak who he's referring to in this context, uh, in the sense of the Jews, in the case of the, the believing Jews, it's those who can't let go of the traditions of the Mosaic law. The, the laws on clothing and on what foods you can eat. The, the festivals and the special days. What you can do and can't do on the Sabbath. And for the Gentile it had mostly to do with the, the meat that was offered to idols and then was cooked and sold in markets for consumption. And there were some who just said, I can't before God do that. It, it feels like it's the wrong thing to do. And in this context, the strong is referring to, well, a Gentile who says, you know, that meat's been off to an idol, but what's an idol? I can, with a clear conscience, take that meat, consume it for my lunch and know that I'm not doing anything wrong towards God by doing that. It's not sin. The strong believer as a Jew knows that they are not no longer under that mosaic law. They don't live with those constraints and those following those procedures and observing those things. Can eat a ham sandwich for lunch and take a walk with their family on the Sabbath. This is the liberty and the freedom that comes with salvation. But there are some who have received salvation who don't fully grasp that freedom and liberty in Christ. And the problem in the church comes when the strong believer flaunts that freedom and thinks about themselves more than they do the weak believer and to the point where it has a negative impact on the weak believer and they can feel devastated and grieved and can stumble in their walk. And so Paul says, we who are strong... We need to bear with the failings of the weak. It's more important than standing up saying, I'm free and I have all this liberty in Christ. Think about your brother and sister in Christ. Do what pleases them. The responsibility lies with the strong. The word here in verse 1, to bear, we ought to bear with the failings. It is this word bastas to get under or carry a burden it's used 27 times throughout the New Testament uh, but quite often in context of a physical lifting of jars or of, uh, of rocks or stones um, of, of a man 
In Revelation it talks, this word used when it talks about the lifting of a woman. And the point is that the strong are to say, it's not about me sharing and being loud all about my liberation in Christ and freedom in Christ, but it's, it's actually considering my brother and sister who has this weakness and struggles. And it's about getting alongside and coming under the, with them. It's not about tolerating, standing idly by and just tolerating someone who's struggling, but it's actually about getting alongside and doing something about it with them. I won't abuse you, I won't neglect you, I won't judge you, but I'll consider you, I'll get alongside you, I'll help you, I'll carry it with you. This is not an age thing, the weak are not the young, the strong are not the old. In fact, in this context, in this church, it was mostly the Jews who were the weak. They had so many more of these traditions and things to hold on to. Some people will be Christians all their life and can't let go of something that limits their freedom in Christ. Sometimes they're so minuscule things but they're held in such high importance. The way we worship God, the types of songs sung, the words and lines of a constitution. There are many things and there are probably things going through your mind as you sit here right now. There are many things that limit our grasp on what it means to be free in Christ. And they take so much of our attention away from what Jesus has done. They take so much of our focus away of being united, having a spirit of unity and worshipping God as one, one voice, one heart. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 when he spoke about evangelising, he said that he, fully aware of his freedom in Christ, fully aware, became a Jew to the Jew became like one under the law, became like one not under the law, became weak for the weak. Why did he do that? In order that people would be saved. He forget that I can do all these things because I know it's not a hindrance, it's not sin before me and God, but it's, that's not important. What's important is my sister and brother who need to be encouraged or the one who needs to know Jesus. Oh, they're a drunk or they're a gambling addict or a drug addict. I don't deal with those people, too hard. What rubbish. 
got to forget about ourselves. Meet people that where they're at in order to share the good news with them. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. I'm not going to spend this much time on every verse. I know there's 13 verses. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not look to please ourselves, but please our neighbour in order that they be built up. The obligation of the church in the church is for the strong not only to understand their freedom and liberty in Christ, but to come in and get underneath the load of the weak, to build them up. Those who are strong have a real sense of responsibility for the maturity and growth of those who are weak. It's important to note we are never, never to compromise God's truth. Never to compromise the truth of the gospel and of God's word for the sake of harmony. But in matters that are not a moral issue, in matters that are not a sinful issue, that are not doctrinal, we, we must seek to bear the burden of the weak, to get alongside, to consider them, to strengthen them. And a great guide for doing that is to be looking to please others and not yourself. Uh, when you interact with each other, to make it not a, to make it about them and not you. Uh, what's going to be the best thing to do for them? What is the best way that I can listen to their needs? The best way that I can help? Uh, not. How do I get away from this situation as fast as possible? How do I break away from this conversation, from this group of people? As you sit here this morning, I'm sure there are things that come to mind that really challenge you in how you relate to others. The difference of opinions on things that they're not really eternal but perhaps even trivial. What's your response going to be? Well, there is no greater example than Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of God. He who being in the very nature God did not consider that something to be grasped. Because if he just wanted to please himself, you know, he wouldn't have left heaven. But he came to earth and he suffered and died. Jesus gave up everything. Wasn't concerned about pleasing himself, but pleasing God and doing what God wanted him to do. Can you say that of your life today as you sit here that I live my life looking to please God, looking to please others and not myself? I'm not up here saying that that's me in a nutshell and you've got to try to get to that standard. These are questions that 
I just have struggled with and have thought so much about. Unity in the church, unity here at Monty, will require us to bear one another's weaknesses and look to please one another and not ourselves. In verse 3, uh, Paul quotes from Psalm 69 and, you, you know, he states from, from Psalm 69 these, the words there, for even Christ, uh, the insults of those, sorry, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And he goes on in verse 4 to say, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. The, the Old Testament uh, you know, they didn't have a New Testament. Paul's writing the New Testament here. The Old Testament was not just uh, a reference to the Mosaic laws or a reference to stories about the nation of Israel. It, it says here the scriptures actually bring hope. God's word actually brings hope. a hope for a purpose in life, a hope for salvation, a hope for forgiveness of sins, a hope for a place for eternity in heaven. And the hope does not exist without the word. And another one of these questions that hit me while I was looking at this passage is why do, we, why do I so neglect God's word? There is this great hope and truth in it. Yet I'm not continually in it so much as probably what I'd like to be. I don't know if that is relatable for you. Allowing the truth of God's word to take over my mind and and rule in my life. The there are so many um, self-help books and especially in the last 10, 20 years um, has really taken off. You know, there's self-help books that are written and distributed and seminars that are taken about it. I got into hospitality 22 years ago. Big mistake. Self-help books are turning over a billion dollars a year in 2019. Amazon in their section of self-help books have, uh, where is it? They have 28 subcategories because there's so many that exist. It's a booming industry. People want to know how to be better. People want to know how to feel great, how to have great things to have a great future. But you know, there is really only one place to find hope for this life and for eternity and that's in the Word of God. And if people don't know it, then they don't know hope. They don't have hope. And God wants his people to be accepting of each other to be building each other up, 
to be pleasing each other because this is what leads to unity. It's not easy. It's not. But it's what is essential. And it's what God has called us to. Because when we have the spirit of unity that God gives, we bring honour to his name and we glorify him. The second point I want to make is about receiving and rejoicing. In verse 7 it says, you might have accept, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Uh, the, the word accept or, or receive, it implies to, to draw someone or something close to you. The, the, the word is used in a number of places. In Mark 8, uh, the uh, Apostle Peter, he, he, Jesus talked about the suffering that is to come and it says that he received Jesus. He like intimately took him aside to have the private conversation with. When Paul wrote to Philemon about Onesimus, the guy who stole from Philemon who took off and he, then he found the Lord... And he says, receive, intimately draw him to you, receive him. Twice he says to him, receive him back, take him. So to accept or receive your brother or sister in Christ, though they may differ from you in lifestyle or opinions on things, that aren't about moral behaviour or doctrinal things about salvation, but different opinions on things, receive them, he says, because Christ accepted you. When I consider the sin of my 39 years of life, the greed and pride of my heart, the number of times I've rejected what God wanted and I wanted to do it my way. And to know that God still has received me. He's a faithful God, a forgiving God, loving and merciful. And so how can I, in being received by him, dare turn to a brother or sister of mine and not intimately receive them unto me. Isn't it just a bit contradictory to say, no, no, you're not quite good enough for me. But gladly be received by Christ and just as he has received you, receive one another. Put the differences aside. 
the opinions that don't really count for eternity. Accept and receive one another. Verse 8. I just want to read these verses again. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. For the Jews, Jesus fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament and they cling to the truth of the words of the Old Testament. They cling to the truth of those promises. It is so important to them. When Jesus came, he fulfilled so much of what has been prophesied of who he is and who who was to come. And the believing Jews cling to that truth that is revealed in Jesus. And the Gentiles, they weren't the covenant people of God. They didn't have all these promises given to them and their generations gone. But through Jesus, they cling to his mercy, the mercy of God, that although they are not his covenant people, they have been redeemed and forgiven through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, just as the Jews are. And while the Jews cling to the truth and the Gentiles cling to the mercy of God given to them, now both Jew and Gentile come together to worship. Not separated and divided because of culture, because of birthplace, because of opinions on what to wear, and what to do and not do on certain days. Rejoicing together because Jesus has died for their sins and has raised again for the life. And there is salvation by faith. Verse 13, I I, want to just close with this and I, I don't actually don't think I need to add to this verse. I want to use this verse just to close in prayer. If you bow your heads and close your eyes and listen to these words that actually sort of sum up this whole letter to the Roman church. As Paul started out talking about the sin of the human heart the condition of the human race, a lost people in need of a saviour and Jesus has made a way. 
and he talks through what it looks like to live as a Christian. And he leaves this, these wonderful words with the Roman church and I want to leave them with you this morning. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.